0: From training
1: to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP
0: Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
1: Hi everyone, this is Eric Cressy and we're excited for another Uh, CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. Um, Ryan Flaherty from the Cleveland Indians is with us today, and it's going to be an awesome show. Um, Share some really good insights for utility players and guys coming from uh, cold weather climates and and how to really find opportunities to learn no matter where you are. Before we get to it, I want to quickly remind you that today's sponsor is Lumberland Company. Um, If anyone's looking for a unique gift for the baseball fan, look no further. They've hollowed out the bat barrel and created the coolest drinking mug ever. Um, It's fully customizable. It's an awesome uh, gift to commemorate special occasions. Um, Mother's and Father's Day are around the corner, so awesome gifts there. I've used this personally um, as a way to really give a personalized gift to people I know in the baseball community as thank yous. Um, we can customize these colors, names, logos, photographs, um, and, and what's cool also is that they're an officially licensed product of the Major League Baseball Players Association. So they have designs available for every player and team, um, including a team signature edition, which, which features the engraved player signature of the entire 25-man roster. So drink straight from the barrel all season long with the official mug of America's Pastime. They're homemade in the USA and designed exactly how you'd like. I know the CEO, AJ Nukowski, one of the best people I know on the planet. And when you support a company, you always support the great people um, that put in the hard work behind the scenes and AJ is one of the best. Um, To sweeten the deal, they're offering free shipping on two or more bat mugs with the code CSP. So just enter CSP, Cressy Sports Performance, at checkout and get free shipping on your purchase of two or more. More bat mugs um, go to lumberlend.com that's l-u-m-b-e-r-l-e-n-d.com you can design your own bat mug today now we're going to get to our guest he's a utility man uh, for the cleveland indians but has previously paid for the baltimore orioles philadelphia phillies and atlanta braves um, he's played every position on the field except for catcher and center field Um, Grew up in southern Maine and attended Vanderbilt University, was drafted 41st overall by the Cubs in 2008, and then selected in the Rule 5 draft by the Baltimore Oils in 2011. Uh, Shortly thereafter, he made his major league debut on opening day um, in 2012. Uh, He spent 2008 as a member of the Braves um, when they made it to the playoffs, and has been a, a CSP athlete since 2011. So we're excited to welcome to the show another Mainer to join me here, Ryan Flaherty. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Eric. All right, this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're actually getting you on your, uh, your commute to start the season. So if folks get a little, uh, little highway traffic in the background, they'll know what it is. But um, So I, I know, uh, just like me, you are a Mainer, born and raised. So I think it actually kind of leads into maybe our first question that I think is a really good place to start. Um, you're a multi-sport athlete in high school, right? That's correct. Absolutely. So baseball, basketball and football. Um, people don't know what the Fitzpatrick Award is, but that's the the best <laughs> high school football player in the state of Maine. Um, I think you were a finalist for it. And then you, you know, you won just about every baseball award, um, you know, in the state of Maine as a senior. So talk to me about kind of your experience as a multi-sport athlete and, you know, what it meant for you growing up and how it helped you get to where you are today.
0: Yeah, that's still my claim to fame. Every time I come to hit it, Fenway, they, uh, they put up the Fitzpatrick Award uh,
1: mention on the uh, Jumbotron. Hey, I'm jealous. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I think, you know, at a young age, you know, I grew up in a baseball family. My dad was a baseball coach. Um, but, you know, I think right away at a young age, he, he never forced baseball. Um, when, it was, when it was fall time, uh, we were out in the yard playing football, hockey, or basketball. Um, in the winter time, we we're playing basketball and hockey. And then when baseball time came, I was playing baseball. Um, and you know, I didn't even really think of it as a three sport athlete. That's really, you know, all I knew. Um, that was all we could I do was,
1: with the seasons up there, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and the only time you could get, you know, the only time you could play baseball is in some dungy, you know, dungy gym and, um, you're just hitting off a tee and, you know, to be quite honest, it's not very fun. So, uh, you know, I think you know. I didn't even look at it that way. That was just the way life was. It wasn't until I think I started getting recruited in college that they said, "Oh, you're a three sport athlete." And I was just like, "Well, it's what everyone does, right?" Like, I mean, and um, you know, uh, yeah. So I think it's just uh, you know, for me, um, I wanted to be doing what whatever you know was the you know the most competitive thing that time of the year, and that wasn't sitting in a gym hitting off a tee it was it was playing in front of a crowd and, and competing
1: did did you find that you had different social circles in football basketball baseball hockey like all the different things you did or that the same athletes that you were around in each one of the sports
0: uh so there was a mix there was a there was a group of us that played all three sports but then you you know you had the football mix obviously you know the football guys are good they like the heavy metal music and uh <laughs> you had that you had that group of guys and you had the basketball guys all well, like the rap music and then you had the baseball guys and uh you kind of went through that phase of uh, the season. and um, So, yeah, there was different groups you'd hang out with, but then there was a core of my buddies, that, probably five or six of us, that kind of did all three of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think even socially it was uh, it was a neat experience just playing with the different kinds of uh, athletes.
1: And you look back on it, did you even have any noteworthy injuries throughout your entire high school career, like overuse, anything like that, or was it pretty much smooth sailing because you were doing so many different things?
0: Uh, Nothing, literally nothing. I um, I will say the last play in my football career, uh, I actually ended up breaking my collarbones. The only injury (laughs) I had my whole life, Um, but you know it was there was no injuries. It was not even like something I really even thought about. Just Mm -hmm. yeah, no.
1: And and so you were undrafted out of high school, and you know it'll kind of lead into the next question in a second here, but. Do you feel like that's just because you were you weren't ready? Were you just really hard to scout? I mean, obviously you guys played on a dominant team at, at Deering High that, that won a couple state titles. Was it too few at bats against really good competition, or just no scouts? What was it that you know didn't make you stand out right out of high school?
0: Well, um, I think to start, I was probably six foot two and probably one hundred and fifty five pounds, <laughs> and the most gangly person out there in the field, and I'm sure it didn't look like much. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think my it wasn't really until I started uh, my, my junior year. My, my father took me to um, a few showcases, some, wow. uh, a perfect game event. Um, and he took me also to an East Coast showcase. And those were the only two things I did. I never played in any travel ball team. I just played mm-hmm. in the local Legion high school team. Um, but when I went to those, I started to get a little more college interest. And um, that senior year, I guess, uh, I'll never forget, there was, a, there was one scout. I think he was from... I think it was from the Tigers and it was a local scout and I I, I came to a game and uh, I kind of struggled in the game, but anyway, he kind of talked about there was a chance they could draft me and I'll never forget, you know, sitting there on that, uh, my senior, senior in high school in Maine, just sitting there hitting refresh on the, uh, computer, (laughs) wait, waiting for your name to click up. And it didn't happen. And, and, you know, you're kind of devastated. And I think, uh, I think at the time, it was more of a bragging right to say I got drafted than anything. And um, but it was a growing experience for the next time I would I would go through
1: that. Absolutely. And uh, so, how did Tim Corbin find you in, in little Old Portland, Maine? Because there were there were multiple guys that came from there, uh, including your young, younger brother, and um, you guys had a catcher on that roster that wound up at Vandy. You know, how did, how were you the first guy that was really discovered in Portland, Maine that wound up at Vanderbilt?
0: Yeah. Well, to start, he uh, he has a obviously he's got um, New Hampshire root. Uh, yeah. New Hampshire roots. And so obviously he, he loves New England kids. He loves recruiting up there. Um, but really the the start with Corbin came from uh, my father was Jack Leggett's uh, uh, roommate in college. who was the old Clemson coach. Oh, no, Kim. Um, so kind of my whole life growing up, I just had a dream to go to Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget my junior year. Uh, Jack told my father that uh, they had a kid already to play shortstop. And he said, um, you know, but why don't you check? Out uh, Tim Cor- Corbin's program at Vanderbilt at this time back in 2005 or four, I, I hadn't even heard of Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, other than it was far away away, so he uh, kind of through that, um, and then after a showcase, he came out to watch my team play in the Legion World Series out in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, um, and he can actually it's 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 a pretty crazy story. He actually followed my team, literally went to every game, and would sit with uh, the parents in the stands mm-hmm. watching the games, almost like he was like another father, which is kind of crazy looking back on it uh, now. But, um, and then, uh, ended up, you know, uh, developing a relationship with him and Maggie and, um, ended up committing there my junior year. That's
1: pretty awesome. So you, you were, yeah. you went to Vandy before it was Vandy and you knew coach Corbin before he was coach Corbin. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. People say, oh, you went to Vandy. It's so cool. And I said, yeah, I went to Vandy before it was cool. So,
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you were, you were in a lot of ways, very, very, uh, ahead of the curve because i mean name some of the guys that wound up going on to pro ball from that roster while you were there
0: yeah um well obviously i think david price was a, he was kind of the guy who put dandy on the map um, they had been good a couple of years before that but mm-hmm. he was the first guy that was there that was really um um like a super prospect and then in my same uh, recruiting class pedro alvarez came and he obviously had a lot of hype coming out of high school and Obviously, was the second pick in the draft. Um, you know, the best one of all of them, I always say, was probably Casey Weathers, who ended up uh, having some arm trouble in pro ball. But in college has dominated more than anything. And Mikey Miner was there, who yep. pitches for the Rangers. Um, there's yep. just a list. It's, it's it's crazy. You know, you go yep. on a pro ball, and, you, and every
1: team you play against going to list of guys. Yeah, we got to give a little shout out to Antoine Richardson for being even a few years ahead of you, right? You had a little time together. Yeah, Antoine, it, it was,
0: uh, he hosted me. Actually, I got hosted by Mike Baxter, but he was the roommate, so I was there with Antoine.
1: So, no kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. yeah. So I, I pulled some numbers, so this is from your Wikipedia page. As a freshman, Flaherty was named an honorable mention freshman All-American. In 62 games, Flaherty had a three thirty nine batting average with 49 RBIs, 19 doubles, two homers, and an on-base percentage of four twenty-one, leading the team with 22 multi-hit and 15 multi-RBI games. And then to paraphrase, it basically everything got better as a sophomore. You, went, you hit 381 with 57 RBIs, 438 on-base percentage, second-team All-America, all ABC a South region, and second-team All-SEC. A- so here's my question is, what happens to the, from the 6'2", 155 kid that couldn't even get drafted to basically being a, a standout in the SEC right away? Um, what was the, the learning curve? How did you kind of have that success so quickly?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um so it's crazy right away. I'll never forget my, my freshman fall being down there. And, um, here I am, you know, trying to hit off David Price. I mean, I came from Maine and, and there was hardly a guy who threw 85 miles an hour and the bat just got knocked out of my hand in the fall. Um, but I could play defense. I think I, you know, I always play defense and hold my own. Um, so I, right away, I remember my fall exit meeting with coach Corbin, um, and he said hey look you know if the season started today I think you'd be in the mix and I remember going home and thinking it was the greatest thing ever after hitting about literally under 100 in the fall (laughs) Um, but I made the plays and and he said I had a chance well that fall um, I'll never forget I came back and then put on about 10 pounds uh, over the course of like a month Uh, and I remember I was just eating everything in sight Um, and it was the first time in my life I really got into working out (laughs) Um, and I put on a little bit of weight, so I filled out just a little bit. Um, and kind of to fast forward a little bit, uh, the season's about to start, and I'm still kind of struggling. And Corbin says, look, I'm going to start your opening day um, at shortstop. And he put Pedro a third, and we were both true freshmen. And we we're playing out in, uh, at USC in California. I'll never forget the story. My, uh, So I'm starting opening day. I'm bragging to all my friends back home. I'm all excited. And uh, my dad flies across country. And uh, he ends up getting in a car accident on the way to the field.
1: And, Holy cow!
0: <laughs> yeah, he gets a, gets in a car accident, fender bender. He shows up. By the time he showed up, I'd already committed three errors and uh, was already over two. And <laughs> um, needless to say, uh, by the end of that weekend, uh, Corbin put me and Pedro both in the bench. We we failed miserably the first weekend, um, which kind of leads into how I became a utility player. <laughs> uh, so I'm sitting there in the bench. My parents were already coming down the next weekend, and I was on the bench. And uh, I think the first baseman might have struggled. And Corbin said, hey, you ever played first base? And I'm like, no, but I will. So he put me at first base. The, I missed one weekend I sat in the bench. And then the next weekend he put me there and ended up getting about four hits. And I played first base for about uh, probably a month and a half. Um, and he ended up switching me back to shortstop and, and whatever. But it's, it's funny because had I not – been able to go over and play short uh, first base, you know, I may have had a different career there.
1: No doubt. Now, had you ever even played first base or was it just that you were most athletic guy on the field, played short for a long time and it, it came naturally to you when you decided to, to go and try it?
0: Yeah, well, I definitely wasn't the most athletic guy in the field, so I was still, uh, <laughs> still gangly. And, um,
1: we'll call you versatile.
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, but no, I had um, I, it was just something that I grew up in a baseball family, so I, you know, kind of my dad I would always go to my dad's practice and I'd I'd catch throws and you know I kind of just always like watched and and kind of paid attention during his practices. and and looking back it went a long way because you know I was able to go over there and and, and do it fairly easy.
1: Absolutely that was actually my next question so your dad's been coaching college baseball at USM uh, University of Southern Maine for over 30 years and I'm always intrigued at how baseball sons develop guys who are around the game whether it's you know, the Bichette boys, um, you know, we had, we trained Dante richard EJP's son. Um, so we've had a lot of guys that have come through over the years. What was it about that experience that you think was the most important? Was it, you know, immersion in the culture? Was it access to the expertise? Was it just getting consistent reps? Was it, you know, playing up against players that were, you know, way more advanced than you were when you were in high school? How did it really come about? Do you think?
0: Yes. I think, I think it's a combo of all four of those things you just mentioned. Um, um and I just remember as a kid, you know, my, like I said at the beginning, uh, my dad never pushed baseball. on me. He was never Mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, at three o'clock we're going to go hit. Um, It it was never that he, I think he just, he exposed me to baseball, which, which uh, allowed me to fall in love with the game. Um, But it was never, he forced it on me. And I, and I always was just, you know, um, any, any sort of time off after school, my grandfather would pick me up and drop me off at practice. And I would just go and sit there and watch and, when I got to be about, oh, I don't know, like probably 14 years old, I, I would I would go in the cage, and I would hit live. So it was a combination of all that. And I, I remember sitting there at nighttime, you know, watching baseball, my dad asking him questions on why certain things happened, um, you know, and, and just, you know, really through him, all those things allowed me to become uh, a baseball player.
1: So in your, you know, obviously fast forwarding, you know, you, m- you make your major league debut and. I can remember just, you know, his interview, I think, with, with Buck Showalter, where he just talked about, you know, don't, don't even look at the average line, just look at what he does from a versatility standpoint to be able to come in and play so many different positions and, and give you all this roster flexibility if you want to carry a, you know, a lefty-only specialist or something like that. So you've played every position except for center fielder and catcher, and you're like the emergency catcher on, on most teams that you played for as well. What, let's talk about the versatility it takes to do it. So first off, how many gloves do you, do you travel with? right now in your car how many gloves do you have
0: <laughs> ha uh I, well, I carry i use a glove at shortstop and second I use a different one at third um i use one at first base and then i have one in the outfield so that's four and i also carry a catcher's glove in an emergency so so i have five um <laughs> and uh yeah you kind of carry five and i know the uh visiting clubhouse guys don't like it because it, it takes up a lot of room when they're unpacking the uh, bags
1: <laughs> so when you're all right let's talk about just you know like the actual pre-game process so if you know that you know you're going to be coming off the bench and you could go anywhere on the field what are you doing pre-game are you going out and taking reps at every single position do you you know just go to short because you feel like it's the most athletic position like where do you wind up going
0: yeah, so if, if there was a game I wasn't playing in, um, I, would, I would take ground balls and shortstop and do as much work as I could there to start. Um, I always felt and st- well, still feel like if, if uh, you can cover shortstop, then, then, then third and second are a step down from there. So um, that's, that's going to be the main priority. Um, obviously, on certain teams, um, in Atlanta last year, I was playing more third just out of need. So I would make sure, you know, maybe the first round I'd go to shortstop. The second round, I'd go to third, um, and then and then for the group three, I'd shag fly balls in the outfield um, just off the bat, um, and then I'd hit in the last group. So I, days you're not playing, that's something would have would look like. Unless for some reason, you know, the infield coach wanted to work on turning double plays, but but mostly I would say, you know, the shortstop is going to cover um, most most of your needs in the infield.
1: Absolutely. What's been the hardest position for you to take on as you've, as you've moved into that utility role, where was the biggest adjustment?
0: Yeah. So, um, just being tall, uh, I got drafted as only a shortstop. So when I was with the Cubs at the lower levels, I was only a shortstop. And, and, um, when I first went to third base, I used to just get eaten alive. Um, and I would play, I would play the position, um, um, side to side where, where at, at, at third base, it wasn't until Bobby Dickerson was my roving infielder instructor with the cubs and then he was my big league infield coach with the orioles who really really helped me develop me as an infielder um and and basically taught me that third third base you know you got to play it almost like an x you got to be able to go back and in rather than go side to side um until i learned that it really uh i struggled there the first year um i think at daytona beach i played there in a rotation and ended up making like close to 30 errors, I think 22 errors or something like that. It's just balls would just eat you alive over there third. third. So. And that now definitely
1: that's statistically, that's kind of your best position now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, analytically and defensively, I think third, I'd probably grade out the best at, but um, yeah, at the beginning it was really hard because short, shortstop, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's such a different play than a third where, Third, you got to try to create space because uh, if you don't, the ball's just going to eat you up. So, uh, yeah, that that took a while for me to figure that out.
1: What What do you think it is that talk talk about what it takes to be a consistently high level defender? Obviously, it's it's hard to make the big leagues as a single position player, but to be able to go and you know play a you know very serviceable defense at multiple locations is it is it you know simply just a matter of tons and tons of reps? Is it seeking out you know advice from coaches from teammates who have done it? Where Where do you feel like your, your quickest, like, you know, path to learning was?
0: Yeah. So I think in my, in my case, um, playing first off, when you can play shortstop and you can play first base, those are two really unique positions. So I think, you know, in my body, um, I'm being taller um, and being leaner. Um, those have been two important things. You want to be lean enough that you can and move enough that you can play shortstop, but yet, you know, you're big enough that you give a good target at first base and that, you know, you can still hit the ball with some power um, to play over there. Um, so I think from a, from a physical standpoint is keeping your body in shape that, that you can kind of cover all of them, um, from a footwork standpoint, from a physical standpoint. Um, and then, and then honestly, you know, a lot of it is, is coaching, like you said, seeking out, you know, advice, maybe you could pick, pick someone's brain who might've been a great fair baseman. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to play with Manny uh, in Baltimore, but, but sometimes Manny wouldn't be the best guy to seek advice from because it just came so naturally to him. Um, but a guy like J.J. Hardy, who maybe didn't have the physically gifted tools that Manny had, um, you could pick his brain on so much and, and, and learn certain things. So I think each each guy that I've played with, I've tried to not only ask questions, but even just watch. I think for me, my I always learn better from watching. Uh-huh. rather than, than someone trying to explain it to me. So uh, that's definitely something I try to take advantage
1: of. Do you feel like the, um, like the profile body type for different positions uh, has changed over time? You know, as you see more and more guys like who late in their career maybe moved to first base and you saw like the Rays do that with Brad Miller in the past? Um, You know, years ago, we saw like Henry Ramirez being, you know, a a huge shortstop when he came up. I know like last night, Nolan Arenado. they said on the broadcast that he dropped 15 pounds this offseason, even though he might be the best defender in baseball. You know, do do you think we're at the point now where, you know, baseball's past these stereotypes of like, you know, you have to be a certain size or height or anything like that to play one of these positions?
0: No, totally. I mean, I think, you know, even from a, yeah, I think, I think those things are all out the window and especially now. You know, when I first – you know, in 2012, when I made my debut, I mean, there was – there was, a, I mean, there was utility players, but there really wasn't that many what they call now super utility players who could yeah. kind of play the outfield, play the infield, play short, play first. I mean, there might have been Zobrist, um, maybe Mark DeRosa I can think of, but really there wasn't anyone. And now every team has at least one or two because of the flexibility it gives the, the bullpen, um, the flexibility it gives to the team um, is definitely – Obviously, teams have noticed that, and they're you know, implementing
1: it. Yeah. So, you know, do you think that young players should aspire to be a utility guy?s do you, Or do you think it's you think it's best to stick at one position as long as you can and, you know, effectively have the, the game force you, you know, into taking on the utility role? What's your take?
0: Um, you know, the game's evolving so much now that I would say when I came up, it kind of happened to be, well, look, you're not good enough to play every day at one position, so you're going to be a utility guy. Um, now you know, kind of where baseball is at, and like I was just talking about with the the rosters and, and how it's done, I I, I think it's, uh, I think you'll start to see superstars that, that play multiple positions. Um, I think that's coming here in the near future. Um, you look at shifts, you look at all this different yeah. stuff that's going on in the game. I mean, guys are playing, you know, there's infielders that are standing in the outfield with four outfielders. Now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's going to that point. So, for any young kid, I think it's it's only beneficial to learn all of them, even if you want to be an everyday shortstop.
1: Absolutely. So, and you know, usually one of the things that comes with being a utility guy in the role you played is, you know, it means you're gonna you're gonna come in as a defensive replacement in the, the seventh inning, or maybe it's a you know it's a in the National League a pinch hitting appearance in the sixth or something like that. What's your kind of routine when you don't start? What are you doing over those first you know four to six innings maybe before you actually see the field, um, you know, to to get your, yourself ready?
0: Yes. So the first, you probably watch the first three innings from the dugout. And then after the third inning, I mean, it, it's always, you know, those, those four extra position players that are on the bench um, really, you know, are in the batting cage that are usually connected to the dugouts down there um, and kind of just activating them. Obviously you're hitting off the machine, um, but from a, you know, a lot of my career I've spent coming into games defensively, um, you know, you're kind of, you know, just activating, stretching, and a lot of it, honestly, is even just mentally. You try to, you know, as a bench player, you try to think along with the manager, think where he may use his bullets, where he may use his pinch hitter, where he may use the defense, where he may use a double switch. Um, it's really unique in the sense of just, you know, you get to think along with the manager because you're you're constantly trying to figure out, you know, what he's going to do to try to help yourself. So um, a combination of all those things is kind of what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's funny, I, as you said that, you know, uh... I remember seeing something on Twitter. I think it was Jerry Krasnick. Somebody put out that, you know, when the, when the day comes, Ryan Flaherty is going to make a great managerial candidate in baseball. So I would agree with it, having known you for, I don't know what, eight years now. But I guess my question is, in your mind, what do you think makes you a good managerial candidate? Uh, would you aspire to do that? And, and uh, just dig into that a little bit deeper. Uh,
0: um, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess when I first started playing pro ball, uh, I would have said that there was a 0% chance I would have stayed in pro ball when I was done. Um, But I think just, you know, I I think being around Buck for as many years as I played for him, um, I think, you know, he kind of, he kind of opened my eye to, um, to, to baseball from that standpoint, from the manager standpoint. And I grew up around it, around my father all the time. And I think, you know, kind of obviously from the time period between, you know, being a kid in my house with, uh, my father to Buck. I mean, I kind of um, wouldn't say I didn't think I was going to do it, but being around Buck again, and then, and then really just looking back at some of my, uh, some of the people who have impacted my career um, from a coaching standpoint, whether it be Coach Corbin, Buck, um, my father, um, there's just been a lot of influences in my life that I've thought about, well, maybe it's something I do when I when I get done. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll cross that whenever, whenever it comes
1: time. Absolutely. So, and it, it kind of leads into some good following questions. And if you watch, you know, high school baseball, right, you can see a lot of games that are won purely by coaching, just strategy, you know, putting pressure on opposing teams with hit and runs and stealing bases and, you know, reading bounce counts and things like that. You know, so obviously coaches in a lot of ways can win games just by pushing fundamentals at the youngest levels. How do you see that change as time goes on? You know, when you when you got to you know pro ball, and you know you played for a guy like Showalter, and even in the minor leagues, you know, do, could could you go back in your in your brain and actually see major league games that were were won just kind of like in the trenches behind the scenes from just coaching decisions?
0: Oh, absolutely! I think, um, yeah, and I think I think analytically, uh, analytics in baseball has really just uh, it's helped coaching and kind of reassure a lot of the things. I mean. I, I was I was, uh, I was, I was on my ride here and I was listening to this uh, Bill Belichick audiobook book. And um, it's just interesting to see how, you know, there's certain certain coaches just find, um, you know, find, find value at the margins. And, and um, you know, there's definitely ways you can impact baseball games. Um, and especially, you know, being a bench guy for most of your career, you know, you're, you're like I said earlier, you're constantly. You know you're constantly thinking along with the manager. So when the game ends, you know, not that you ever second guess the manager, but you kind of think in your head like, oh man, that was a, you know, he, he kind of strongholded the uh, the opposing manager there, or man, like he, you know he got taken advantage of there. Um, you're constantly thinking along, thinking along with the, the coaches because of that. So um, absolutely, there's there's ways to the um, in depth baseball is, is much more than than sometimes the. the it looks from, from
1: afar. I think it's a good reminder to like a lot of the young players that are, you know, on this call that are listening is that, you know, a, a lot of them expect everything to be handed to them. And you, you've made a lot of good points about just taking every opportunity you can, whether it's playing first base or going to your dad's practices and, you know, waiting for, you know, a, a 19 year old to throw you, you know, BP when you were 15 and you talk about, you know, listening in and just observing what coaches do. I think, it's, it's a good reminder that so many people miss really low hanging fruit for development if they just show up, pay attention and work hard. Um, so, you know, on, on that side of things, building on it, you know, there are a lot of coaches that are on this call as well. So you've, you've obviously been fortunate to play for, you know, Coach Corbin at Vanderbilt. You've been, you know, fortunate to work with Showalter. He's one of the brightest minds in kind of baseball history on that side. Obviously, you spent a lot of time around your dad. What are the, what are the things that you love about you know, certain coaches, what do you think are the, the key qualities of great coaches you've had? And then what are the things that over the years have frustrated you in one way or another that, you know, have maybe impeded some of your development?
0: Yeah, so um, I think there's, some, there's a couple absolutes with the good coaches that I've had. And then um, outside of that, they're, they're all very unique. I think um, Coach Corbin uh, really, really is probably one of the best motivators I've been around in my life. Just from a standpoint of, you know, he could take he could take a kid and really just push him to the next level, um, from a motivation standpoint, um, a work ethic standpoint, um, and you know, I think, you know, moving forward from that to show Walter, um, I think there's a lot of people who would say, well, well, Buck, you know, he didn't communicate as well, but in 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 I would disagree with that completely in the sense of he was actually probably the best best communicator. He just didn't say a lot. He didn't have to say a lot to say, you know, I think through his actions and through his, uh, the way he had, um, he communicated, you he communicated everything that he was trying to get across. Um, and, um, I think, I think that's it. Communication. And, 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 and when you command respect, um, that, that, that's another thing that I think is, uh, is an absolute, uh, when you have the respect of someone, um, they, they tend to listen and then when they don't, then that's kind of when, you know, they lose the clubhouse and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think th- it's still unique how, how each individual coach, um, has their own way of communicating. Um, and yeah.
1: All right. So when we, when we start to wrap this up, we always do a lightning round. Um, okay. So if you could give any advice to a teenage Ryan Flaherty, what would it be?
0: It's supposed to be lightning, huh? <laughs> uh, have fun. Yeah. Have fun.
1: There you go. Favorite teammate of all time and why?
0: Nick Johnson. Uh, if I didn't have him, I wouldn't have survived, survived playing for Buck for six years. <laughs>
1: All right. What's the best advice you've received since you got to professional baseball?
0: Keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. (laughs) Is
1: that, is that a, that's a, uh, like maybe a play on the, what's that? Two eyes, two ears, two arms, two legs, two, uh, use them in that order or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: All right. right. All right. So what players do you like to watch and why?
0: Currently, wow, well, he's getting old now. I always loved Tulawitsky. He was a taller infielder. Uh, I love watching him play. God, I feel like there's so many good superstars. Tulawitsky, I'd have to say.
1: You're a big Jeter fan too, right?
0: I love Jeter. Yeah, I like Jeter a lot.
1: All right. So, um, you know, with that said, we always try to impart one last little bit wisdom on players, coaches parents, um, you know, anybody who's listening, whether it's like a, a young minor leaguer on his first 14-hour bus trip in the South Atlantic League or a, a kid in the SEC, uh, you know, who's going into a weekend series, if you could impart one bit of wisdom on any of those groups, what would it be?
0: Enjoy the grind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds, you know, it's, it's crazy. It sounds weird, but You know, I think I'll never forget. You get to the big leagues, and and sure, it's the um, greatest—it's the greatest sense or feeling of accomplishment. But you know, I think you look back and you say, you know, once you've done it, and you say, man, like you know, you end up missing, you know, the stuff that you went through to get there, and and, uh, you know, whether whether it was on a bus trip from nashville the baton rouge or or traveling with my legion team in the summer or you know in the, in the northwest league in pro ball um you know you look back at that and you say man that, that was almost as fun as fun as it was playing in the big league so just enjoy it i guess i love you know, it
1: nice man um well people can find more of you on social media it's rflaherty 27 on instagram right That's right. Big social media guy. Nice. Well, (laughs) uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you representing the the great state of Maine so well and and doing your thing. Uh, We've been honored to have you at CSP for, for so long. And uh, it's cool that people get a little chance to take a glimpse into all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. So thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on Eric. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the CSP elite baseball development podcast. Subscribe to continue listening to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or YouTube. If you like what you heard, we'd encourage you to leave a
0: review of our show on iTunes or email us your feedback at EliteBaseballPodcast
1: at gmail.com. Again, we appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you next time.